Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Uh, the offseason continues, but that does not mean that the content stops because if you have been on Raptors Twitter, all you have seen is just a uh, hundred highlight clips of uh, assorted Raptors players at um, various pro-ams and summer league runs and things like this. Uh, and I think the general sentiment is one of a lot of encouragement. People are very optimistic about this team with or without any sort of Kevin Durant trade. And I'm thinking about how the Raptors can take the next step. And so joining me to discuss that uh, and discuss uh, the progress uh, of the Raptors top two players right now is coach David Thorpe from True Hoop, uh, author of Basketball's Jazz. You know, I just downloaded it on my Kindle. I've um, through a couple of chapters now. So, Coach, how you doing? Well, I'm doing better knowing you just got the book. I'm really, I'm really happy. I've heard, I mean, I wrote this book five years ago now. Well, I wrote it more than that, but we published it in 2017. And um, I'm really happy to, to say that uh, even just a couple weeks ago, I got a really nice uh, text from an agent, an NBA agent, mm. who, uh, who brought it on his honeymoon. And said, I just, you know, he's at his honeymoon, but he's like, coach, I really, I plowed through it in a few days. Um, yeah, it's not a work of Bill Shakespeare. It is basic basketball stuff, but uh, I hope you like it, William. And, and it's good to be here. Yeah, I really do like it. I'm not, I'm not even saying this just because you're on the show, because you're already on the show. I don't need to <laughs> butter you up anymore. But I was on, uh, I was on the subway yesterday on my way to uh, the Tuesday basketball run that I have. And I was reading the PDF on the, on the, on, on on my phone and i literally missed my subway stop i was like so in like wrapped <laughs> awesome. up in the book and i was like oh crap so i had to like bike there anyway it's the whole thing but it, it's very good i very much in, uh, recommend it and Thank uh you. yeah get the get the paperback too actually don't just get the the kindle but look listen we could talk about that towards the end but first uh let's talk about scotty barnes which obviously at this point you know as well you know you are the scotty barnes whisperer so to speak <laughs> um and yeah, look, there's been a lot of encouragement for Scotty um, just this summer alone. When you sort of see the clips that come out, when you see him really enthusiastically getting into a defensive assignment against James Harden, um, when you see some of the clips of him taking step back jumpers, or there was like a really nice 360 windmill dunk that he did at uh, a program in Utah yesterday. I think there's just like so much hype about Scotty. Uh, and then I was listening to your program, the True Hoop podcast with you and Gerard Hector on Monday, and you had just casually mentioned you could see Scotty Barnes taking an all-star type of leap. So let's just start there. Um, what do you think Scotty would need to do to, to make that kind of jump? Oh, I wouldn't just look at it as the, the individual. It would help that the, you know, the team keeps playing the way they finished last season. I think I think from January 1st on, they won 66% of their games, which, which would get them to 54, 55 wins. I might have said that on our show the other day. Um, that would help, you know, be one of the better top, you know, top four team in the East going into uh, as fans are voting and as, as people are selecting. Uh, so I always, I always, well, I don't always, but I, I try to always um, contact player development with team success. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really important as it happens. That's easy with Scotty Barnes because he's all about that. So um, I think that, uh, you know, he, 17, 18 plus points a game, 
you know, seven, eight rebounds a game, four or five assists a game, you know, a block, a steal, a, a, a better than average defensive rating on some of the better metrics that we have. Maybe some standout second half, standout fourth quarters, buzzer mm-hmm. beaters, you know, game winners. The, 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 the jump that he's trying to make is hard. It, it's just, it's, especially in your second year. Uh, there's a whole bunch of good players and there's, there's not a lot of spots. And so you get, you can't just be good. You need to be an all-star level. And so I think for him with Siakam next to him, Van Vliet next to him, as of now, you know, OG, he's uh, not going to average 22, 24, 25 a game. He may never do that. He's a different, his impact is a little bit different than pure scoring. But I just think that those kinds of things where he's just across the board, uh, uh, way above average player, and the team is doing really well, I think gives him momentum to potentially being an all-star this year. I don't think if, if he doesn't get it, no one should cry. No. Um, this guy's going to be an all-star, it seems, unless things change for him in terms of effort and energy. Uh, but, you know, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was, I would, I would be, I'd be placing a wager on, the, on his future, suggesting that he's going to have multiple all-stars and, and some all-NBA teams, I think, before he's done. Right. And I think, honestly, at this point, I think fans have already talked themselves into uh, basically him averaging 22 points and seven rebounds and seven assists and, and basically making that jump right away. I, I think that that would be it's definitely within the range of possibilities because of how talented and the, the effort and the enthusiasm he approaches the game with. Um, but at the same time, we have to do caution. As you mentioned, there are tons of players on the Raptors that uh sort of, you know, take shots. Plus, it, Nick Nurse, the way he runs the offense, uh, the ball kind of really spreads around. They're one of the only teams in the NBA that has all five guys in the starting five uh, averaging 15 or more points this past season. And so it's just very hard for a guy to sort of make that kind of leap significantly. But if we look at sort of what aspects of Scotty's game would probably need to continue maturing, I think one aspect that people are always looking at is the jump shooting. And I think last season he finished the year shooting about 30% from three in the playoffs. You know, he knocked down a couple of threes, but uh, to be honest, he was injured for a significant portion of the playoffs. It's hard to sort of fully judge. Um, From your perspective, when you sort of see Scotty's jump shot over the course of the season, is there anything standing out and any, any sort of encouraging signs or just any, any takeaways from his improvements as a jump shooter? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, um, as it relates to this season, uh, I'm not someone that places that as a high priority. Uh, okay. There's a player in this league, I think you'll know who he is. His name is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm. He can't f- shoot. And he's one of the two best players in the galaxy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Him and Jokic yep. right now. Uh, that's not to say Scotty is Giannis. He's not. I think he's like him. I said, you know, we, we talked about being like him, being like Kawhi Leonard when he first was coming out, I was writing and talking about that. Uh, there's so much more he can bring and, and should bring and does bring to games. And so that's just one, one thing that, yeah, if he made more outside shots, uh, it would help. It'd be helpful. It's just mm-hmm. another place where he's weaponized, which is it's going to be weaponized in a lot of places. We've had a whole bunch of really good players in this league that couldn't shoot. Uh, they tend to be super athletic guards. But again, Giannis is this shining example. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, so Scotty's shot 
is reminiscent of Magic Johnson's, my favorite player of all time. Uh, I told maybe Scotty now. And again, I've never met Scotty. I just watched every one of his games when he was a player of Florida State and I'm a huge fan. My kids know him. I don't know him. Um, it's a bit of a push shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care. As someone who, you know, is one of the, you know, the, the, one of the first guys who kind of be considered a, a shot doctor, so to speak, which is a, actually, I almost thought about naming my business that way back in the early 90s when I started it. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not just a shot doctor. I try to help players play better basketball. Shooting's one aspect of it. But I know a little bit about the subject. And so there's a lot of magic pushing, you know, kind of that push hands. It's on his palm, I think, a little bit. Um, he's done a good job this summer of the highlights that I've seen of holding his follow through, but he's done that before. I watched a shot the other day, uh, maybe it was this morning, from maybe 32 feet where he made it from the top against in some garbage league. Right. And uh, it looked smooth. That's a big thing that I, that I work on with guys uh, is uh, long, long range threes where their form stays the same. To me, that's mm. a really good sign when they're not chucking it. And so I thought that was good that he looked good shooting that. Um, but honestly, if I, if I was, you know, if I was building out like a checklist of what I thought was most important, I, I wouldn't have three point shooting at the top of the list and not even, not even close actually. Hmm. Um, his ability to get buckets is something I'd like to see uh, enhanced. Um, that's everything from off the dribble, off cuts, off the post, uh, the offensive glass, junk, ju- ju- you know, kind of trash jump, trash scoring, hanging around the rim, which he's pretty good at those things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, my favorite thing is second box jumpers, um, which is the, which is, you know, if you look at the, the paint, the second half of the paint where the free throw line is, is the second box, first box is where the rim is. Okay. Uh, get to the second box. If you, I was watching Kawhi Leonard tape this morning. I was watching KD tape yesterday. Uh, these are similar kinds of players in the sense of their scoring wings, mm. uh, you know, elite players. And, uh, boy, they just get to that second box all the time. It's something I really preach to uh, the guys I help. And um, I thought Scotty could have done that a lot more in college, and he didn't. But he was, you know, a freshman who – I'll say this. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I just don't think almost anyone understands what an odd time it was to come out of high school. Mm. And I only am sensitive to it because that's when my twins graduated. They're the same age as Scotty. So um, it was so hard to find a gym. And, you know, you couldn't get in and it's not so fun. And he's from Florida, like my son, uh, not so easy to work outdoors for 90 minutes in, in our heat. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. and then in college, again, they were on the same team. They're just, they were just so limited to what they could do because of COVID restrictions. And so I think one of the things we're seeing this summer, last summer, he had the draft and that wears you down. There's so much mental and emotional stress. Uh, this is his first like just regular summer mm-hmm. since he was a, a rising senior in high school and following his junior year. So I'm not surprised that we've seen what may be because I don't care about these pickup games. Uh, I, we may see a real leap from him. That's why I think it could happen this year is I just don't think he's ever had this opportunity uh, since he was 17, 18 years old. Um, I'd like to see a lot more assertiveness in that second box. He's got the length, size. He's got a feel. Some guys don't have a feel for scoring. He didn't play with a ton of feel for scoring in college, and, and, and last year it got better. But it's, it's there. He, he, anyone that's watched a lot of games knows how to take fadeaway jumpers and how to kind of get their timing right. He, he knows how to do that. 
And, uh, and so I think uh, if, he's, if he's one of the Raptors players that really just decides to bully switches, yeah. um, big or little, like he can, bl- he can absolutely blow by tall guys and he can absolutely physically bully small guys and get to the paint and get his buckets. And then, of course, kick it out if you draw two or three guys. Um, if he does that just relentlessly, assertively, relentlessly, game after game after game, uh, well, he's going to be – he's going to put up big numbers and the Raptors going to win a lot more games. Yeah, and I think, you know, in terms of him using his physicality and especially attacking those mismatches, as you mentioned, I feel like one way that the Raptors get into a lot of these mismatches is by running pick and rolls, almost sort of inverted pick and rolls, They'll have Fred screen, usually for, for Pascal, and then Pascal has an opportunity to attack a small. And the way I'm thinking about it is that could probably happen as well with Scotty in that sort of position. It probably would operate similarly in the sense that in these kind of pick and rolls, it's not like Scotty's going to be handling and looking to pull up, you know, but the idea would be to sort of create some of these mismatches. So I guess that leads me to the question of, can we see an, an expansion of his pick and roll usage? For Scotty Barnes. I think the biggest challenge for that is just the number of primary ball handlers potentially you have on the court in yeah, Toronto at any one time. It's just a lot of guys that can do it. You've, mm-hmm. you've got, you play with if Pascal's for a four, well, then you're going to have four that can do it to some degree, as opposed yeah. to a, you know, a Phoenix team that's going to have two typically with Chris Paul and Booker. Uh, and then everyone plays off that. Um, and they don't, they don't just do it with ball screens. They, they do, they do a lot of their weaves. Right. A lot of dribble handoff stuff, which I think is good, and they and they and they run and they they race and and he's good at that. It can 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 really be. I thought I thought coming out of college he could be dynamic in transition. He's he's so fast and long, and and uh, and creative finishing knows how to decelerate. Can explode up people. People forget that he. Um, I'm an old man now, so I forget. But I think he jumped like 38 inches in Chicago at the combine, 37.5 maybe. There's a clip of Scotty uh, using three dribbles after grabbing the rebound and then dunking the ball. Uh, well, you know, it's Go funny. Cha- <laughs> uh, I, I've been teaching this game a long time. I've had plenty of high school kids that could everything but the dunk part. Uh-huh. Um, it's something we, I, I was just going to say, he, that's that when I say fast, I mean, he can, he can really race. He can yeah. really cover ground. He's got long strides. I don't care if you don't. There's guys that are fast and take short, choppy strides. I don't care. Just get down the court as fast as possible. It's an mm-hmm. advantage. He values that. And I think the rectors value that. So, um, he, he, you know, he's just, he, this league is so much about, I'm, gonna, I'm actually writing, a, a, it's going to be a long, maybe three or four part series, uh, a lot of neuroscience involved. And in how do we, how do we go from being, uh, uh, getting guys that are great speed chess players to guys that can read the game to some degree? Speed, speed chess is more instinctive. Uh, then you start reading the game a little bit. And then you can start kind of dictating the board. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a process. It's going to take him years to get to the last part. He already can play speed chess really well, meaning guys like he and Siakam are amazing pattern recognizers. Um, I think that uh, I think that part of the game is just so he's so good at. So now you start recognizing when there's a, a mistake by the defense, slowing down to you see it. That's what I'm kind of writing about now. And, uh, and then you eventually start moving pieces around the board to take advantage of things. And you make, you know, just like in chess, you, you may, that you may make them think you're sacrificing your rook, but you're really trying to get their queen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's games that the world's best players play. 
And uh, he, I think he's going to get all those things. And I think having a great coach like Coach Nurse will help that. But, uh, but for now, um, we have to understand, too, I'll say this to any of your Raptors fans listening. Uh, I wouldn't panic if he doesn't have a great October. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But the game is it's just harder than that. You, just because you trained all summer really well doesn't mean you're just going to roll in October. Uh, you might, and you might not. And mm-hmm. you just got to stay with it. And, and I'll remind you of one thing. Uh, going into last year, Jason Tatum was much better than Scotty Barnes is right now. Okay, let's be fair. He's yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly, of course. And I wrote an article. I don't remember when it was, but it might have been December, January. Um, he was really struggling, and there was all sorts of comments about trading him, that he and Brown won't work, Tatum's not playing great. And I, I really didn't have an opinion. I had not watched them play a lot, so I broke down tape, mm-hmm. and I, I called you know, my partner, Henry Abbott, and said, I'm going to write an article saying that Jason Tatum's just fine. The ball's just not dropping. Everything he's doing is great. Yeah. You, you just got to be patient. And I didn't know if I was right or wrong. I just knew what I was looking at, which is, oh, this guy's getting anything he wants. It's just not dropping all that much. And it turns out he, he, he fit his first team all NBA. Yeah, he so, didn't turn it around. Yeah, yeah my point is, um, I don't really care how Scotty starts in that sense. Um, he, he's got that talent. And, the, and you mentioned something right away about, you know, uh, I think you heard us on the podcast talk about this too, just the way he... I don't really care so much that he locked up James Harden. I, I, I'm not as some of the things James Harden is so hard to guard anymore. I, I wrote about that last year. I did, that I think we're going to see a lot of one game in 10, two games in 10 uh, performance in Harden where you're reminded of what he can be. Right, but he's right. just, I don't really care about his conditioning. He was in fine shape at the end of last year too. And he still mostly couldn't do a lot. What I loved about Scotty is his energy to do it. Yeah clapping his hand. This is what he did. He did this in college. He did this in high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that can't change. So as long as he's doing that, then any early season failures he has, I just wouldn't worry about it one bit. He'll, he'll turn around just like Tatum did. Yeah, no doubt. Listen, I, I think for Raptor fans, like we're, we're just in really good hands. Like I, I think that's the, that's the general takeaway. It's even when you think about the prospects of, you know, the Raptors potentially having to trade multiple picks if they do go in on some sort of Kevin Durant deal or whatever. And it's like, well, you might lose pick control for eight years. It's like, as long as you keep Scotty for those eight years, I think you might be okay. Those picks might be in the 15 to 30 range, in which case uh, you, you might feel a little bit better about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think shifting over from Scotty over to, to Pascal, I think the question for me, and I think the question that Nick kind of posed, at the end of the season when he was talking about Pascal and sort of, and, and objectively Pascal had a really nice year, came back from the injury really well uh, off the first surgery of his career came back. Maybe defensively at first was a little bit shaky, surprisingly, but uh, really locked in basically from January onward. And as you mentioned, that's sort of when the Raptors turn around and the season also happened too, right? They won 66% of their games um, from, you know, the, just the calendar year of 2022. A lot of that was Pascal sort of taking the next step finishes the year uh, leading the Raptors to the playoffs, gets the third team All-NBA nod. And I think Nick's question at the end of the season, and maybe it was generally to Pascal, but also probably just the rest of the team, is just like, how do we get a little bit more efficient? And I think with Pascal, the efficiency aspect is something that he already can put up. Like, nobody's surprised that Pascal has 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists at the end of a game. But it's sort of like, can we get to that 25 points even more efficiently? And one thing that Nick kind of talked about 
at the end of the season was getting back to a shot spectrum that uh, I think he mentioned that the team kind of got away from. So the way I was thinking about it was one stat that I was tracking throughout the year was Pascal took 308 pull-up twos this past season as compared to 35 pull-up threes. And the trend is that if you go back to 2020, it was 145 pull-up twos and 150 pull-up threes. So it's the proportion has shifted significantly. So I guess I wanted to start there. Like, is, is that an area where you look at and see Pascal potentially becoming more efficient? Or is it the idea that he's gotten so much better on pull-up twos that he's intentionally taking more of those because those are shots that he's gotten better at? I think it was a combination of that and his three wasn't, wasn't great. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, with players like Pascal who have just not had a ton of time being the man, and I'm going back to their childhood, you know, Scotty yeah. Barnes was young and everyone knew this guy was likely an NBA player. Pascal had nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you know his story. And so um, when the three wasn't really working great, he would just find other ways. And, and that's fine. My, my first thing would be, uh, where are you taking those pull-up twos? Because when I look at him, I don't think he gets fouled enough. And mm. he's not drawing enough free throws. And so we know that the more jump shots you take or shots you take from the paint, the more fouls you're going to draw compared to those same shots with the same contact three feet farther out of the paint, whatever. you got to get to the paint. Why is that? Just out of curiosity. I, I don't I, – I, my guess is that um, I've always felt like referees tend not to reward – players who don't take great shots that if they get okay. bumped a little bit they just tend to not be as if they're not 100 sure there's contact they tend not to reward you with the whistle whereas if you're in the paint you've worked to get in that paint mm. and i've written articles about this way back at espn it is a fight it is a battle to get to the paint so when you win that fight and you draw contact i think it's just easier for the referees Makes who sense. aren't maybe hundred percent sure to say, you know what, I'm going to, I got to call that. Right. And we, I, I saw a graph last year, 10 years of studies. I think it was where you see where the most whistles come and that it's, you know, paint and then threes. So I'd like to see him get to the free throw line more. He was a great left corner shooter. If I remember right, 47.5% from three. Uh, he doesn't take many from there. That needs to change. That's, that's on him and the staff to figure out, this guy's a money three-point shooter from the left corner. We got to mm-hmm. get him more shots there. We gotta, he's got to run there on his own, and uh, they've got to come up with stuff to get him there. Um, uh, and, yeah, so uh, he – the thing that's so interesting to me about Toronto is their two best players this year, if Scotty is there, because Pascal is that. I mean, you, you said it – you said he had a very nice season, and then late, late in the, your introduction about it, you – you mentioned he was third team all NBA. I don't take that lightly. The if I said to you, um, well, let's let's name the best forty players in the league. It's going to be a hell of a list. Yeah, yeah. There's sure. and there's going to be really good players at 41, 42, 43. Uh, this dude was top fifteen. Yeah, and he wasn't. And, even, he didn't even make the All Star game. I right, mean, like that's that's separate. He but came still. so late, right? But because still, he came, that was surprising. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that, to your point, on the defense, and I agree with you, he's got to play better defense. Uh, he was out a while. It's just hard to get back in the swing of things and um, uh, and have a rookie like Scotty next to you. 
I, I'd like to see him become an elite defensive player. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 25 or 24 a game with, uh, you know, seven, eight rebounds, five, six assists. Uh, Kawhi, did, Kawhi can do five or six assists a game. So can Pascal. Um, right. And uh, and now and then the, those numbers with his elite defense and he's he's got a chance to be first all, first team all NBA with the world's best players like he, he can be that guy. Mm-hmm. If he's not, the Raptors won't be nearly as good. So he, he posting up more. I mean, this is a t- tall, long guy. And my, what I was going to say is I think both he and Scotty really play the right way. I, I, I think that Pascal could be more selfish. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that he isn't is lovely. The Toronto's lucky to have that, that they yeah. have two elite wing players that really just want to win. Like they don't, I don't think, I don't know this, but I don't think Siakam really is worried about his individual stats so much, as much as did we win. And I, it's cliche, but there's also some guys say it and don't mean it, but some guys uh, don't say it, but do play that way. Mm-hmm. He's one of them, I think, he and Scotty both. So uh, I'd like to see him maybe a little more assertive just because him taking a tougher shot might be better than some of the other guys taking a less tougher shot, depending on if he can also get fouled. Adding more fakes, being more valuing getting fouled more, I think is a big thing for him. And if he, if he can do that, I think it makes everyone else's job easier. Right. And then as, as, uh, and that, that includes, by the way, I was watching tape on Siakam today too. Um, uh, and I was watching all the great wing players, uh, finding ways to get buckets where you're not the focal point. So like in Kawhi's case, it's just pick and roll as the screener screen, mm-hmm. roll, catch, finish. Uh, those kinds of things, cut score, offensive rebound score, transition score, where you only have the ball in your hands for a second right. or less. The, the, the world's best players find ways to do that more, especially at the wing position. So I think he and Siakam both apply themselves that way. Uh, Siakam and Barnes apply themselves that way uh, relentlessly throughout the game. It's, the, you know, Masai has got himself two really incredible wing talents in a league that's dying every team's want, wants at least one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, it's good too, because <laughs> the rest of the team is also similar in, in, in stature and yeah. they're very different in terms of skill sets, but uh, right. having those two of those guys, basically you ensures that you can have at least one of those on the floor at once. Obviously you're going to start the game with both, but you have 48 minutes of somebody who's able to sort of operate inside and outside with Pascal too, the foul drawing idea. Like I was looking into this. So, Last season, Pascal finished fifth in the NBA in terms of two-point makes. The only guys ahead of him were DeMar DeRozan, who was won by a lot, Giannis, yeah. Jokic, and Joel Embiid. Now, yeah, I, was looking at, I, was, I was looking at the guys who – so Pascal averaged 5.6 free throws a game. DeMar averaged eight, which actually feels low for DeMar. I feel like he, he – does. He, it, I, th- I thought for sure he was in the 10 range. Giannis yeah. at 11, Embiid's at 12. Jokic surprisingly was at six, but I think that was also sort of a point of contention for a lot of Nuggets fans online. Um, but yeah, Pascal's only at, at 5.6 free throw attempts per game. And I was thinking about like maybe does it have anything to do with sort of the nature of the way he attacks? I think a lot of the times when Pascal tries to get to his shot, he's trying to either he obviously has a spin move, which I guess purposely gets him away from contact, or he's sort of like trying to use his quickness and stretching to the basket and maybe the the contact below maybe if it's if he's stretching to the hoop and he gets hit on the arm that's an easy call but if he gets hit on the body while stretching on the way to the basket maybe that doesn't 
get credited as a foul. So I, I was just thinking about in terms of maybe even just the technique or the way he plays. Is there something there that isn't getting picked up in terms of the foul calls? Or you know, I guess I, I don't. I guess I don't fundamentally want to see players change the way they score just to draw fouls because I think that's where you get into that James Harden territory or even Embiid sort of falls into this at times when he's frustrated and tired. But yeah, I just want to know technically, did you see sort of anything there with Pascal? Yeah. Uh, he, he does a lot of one-legged stuff. And so that's more of a quick uh, or a quick craft uh, long armed. And you're just not going to get as much uh, as many calls. Jokic is the same. Jokic is so much about feel and as is Pascal and the other guys uh, are all about fakes and power. Mm-hmm. It, they value it more. So it's an easy solution for Pascal to just more off two feet, more fakes, uh, more straight lines in the guys, draw some contact that way. Um, it, 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 if he values it, he'll find ways to do it. He doesn't need to get, you know, 10 or 11, but eight a game would be great. He's mm-hmm. good enough yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, he's worked on his handle a ton, and I think that will uh, allow him to get get more free throws as well for a few different reasons. Um, and I think what I believe he told Nick nurse, like I'm ready to make another jump. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah. my guess is Nick nurse has talked about, uh, well, let's get to the free throw line more. And here's what you have to do. And you have to stay with it. It's just not something I think you thought of much about before and, and probably will now. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, I was thinking about the rest of the team as a whole, right? Look, the, Obviously, the Raptors taking the next step. You're going to need some of your most talented players. And I think the Raptors' most talented players are clearly Scotty and Pascal. With all due respect to Fred, I think Fred is very influential. Fred yep. is very serviceable, very talented, very crafted. But in terms of sh- raw talent, it's those two guys. Those two guys have other steps to make, as we sort of we described in the first half hour here. I think for the rest of the team, in terms of the rest of the Raptors, are there sort of like sort of obvious areas in which the Raptors can improve from the, just the, the supporting cast that you see. Sure. Um, I don't think they shot great last year. Nope. <laughs> they were good on corner threes. Every other th- kind of jump shooting yeah. there, they were not good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously something uh, I don't know. Do they even finish top 10 on defense last year? They, they, they snuck in at the end, but okay. they started the season really bad. But as you mentioned, yeah. uh, 2022, like January onward, I think they were top five. Yeah, so that so they do that consistently all year, and that starts with I think um, Fred at the point of attack. I, I worry about their five, um, the rim protecting five or space protecting. I don't mind space protecting five, but you know the Celtics with Tatum and Brown kind of showed Toronto, um, hey, with, with Pascal and Scotty, like we can really have two dogs on on the wings on defense. Yep. And um, it'd be nice to have rim protection. I thought they might they might get Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, so far that's not the case. Boucher actually pretty good, and maybe sure, maybe yeah. he ends up uh, even growing a little bit more. But um, I don't remember where they were with turnovers. I know they're they're really good with uh, pace. You know, their their transition is good. They win a lot of possession battles. I mean, I know they force a ton of turnovers. Yeah, uh, they do. But, they do. Yeah, yeah, they're one of the best in the league at it. So I think it's just, yeah, natural growth. Um, they, they could be, a top, like when you said, they were top five in that second half of the year. That's what they need to be. Mm-hmm. And that, they're going to get, you know, 55 to 60 wins this year if they're healthy and, uh, and can play that kind of defense all year. Because I, 
I think they'll be a better offensive team than last year. Yeah, well, I, I felt like at the start of last season, obviously Pascal being out really hurt them. Like, I mean, yeah. I think that's where there was a lot of enthusiasm for OJ Anobi to, to, you know, potentially make some sort of jump. But he's not the type of player that should be a one or first or second option if you're no. going to have an efficient offense, especially right. this early in his career. Again, maybe he takes another path, another step, but so far clearly was unequipped to do that. And also, I think Nick was trying to figure out who's in my rotation. You saw earlier in the season, Goran Dragic started the home opener. <laughs> Nobody really knows this, but he, yeah, that was that didn't make any sense. Gary Trent Jr. came off the bench, and it was like Precious was really sort of losing his way. And I think, actually, to the point of Precious, I, I think a lot of fans are considering, well, maybe the Raptors starting five. There's not a natural balance to it in the sense that there's not uh, there's no there's no five in that group. Uh, and so I think a lot of fans are thinking about, well, potentially maybe we take the fifth best starter, which is Gary. And we sort of flipping out around with precious Achua, who did start a significant portion of last season, just because of injuries. Do you see some merit in that idea? Do you see that as sort of the Raptors getting better or. I, I would do that. I would you do would. that. Okay. I would start a center and then Scotty and, uh, Pascal, um, be the three, four Fred at one. And then play around with OG or Gary coming off the bench. Mm. My my initial feeling is have Gary come off the bench uh, and let him compete for a six man of the year as a real scorer. I think it's something he's good at, and he'll get lost a little bit as Scotty and, and Pascal both advance their offensive games. Mm-hmm. Fred might say the same, drop a little bit. OG can advance his offensive game. Something so young that'll come at Gary's expense. So now let them let them have the run of the of the of the game in the second unit, and you can finish games with them fine. But yeah, I like to see them play with that. Do you think as a my concern is like as a coach, how do you sell that to him? Because he he is entering a year where he has a player option at the end of next season. Yeah, most likely will not pick that up because I think he's already performing above sort of his salary right now. Yeah, how do you sell that to him? I mean, I, I, I know what I would do, which is I would, I would tell him, uh, we're trying to build your value as best as possible. And we think having you come off the bench for this team, assuming no one's hurt, mm-hmm. um, because you'll be right back in the starting lineup if any, any, literally anyone but Fred, and maybe even with Fred and I mean, Scotty or Pascal be the one, you're going to start for us. So you'll start plenty of games, but we're going to have you, we're going to have you win six. We want you to win six man of the year. Uh, we want you to score more points, not less. And so forget about the starting. Your numbers, your metrics are going to be better playing with, against second unit guys, finishing games for us. Mm. Um, we think you'll have a better season. And, and the other thing I would say is, and if you don't like it, I would just trade you. Okay, I mean, Gary, if you're not willing to be part of us and how we see it, knowing that we're not trying to ruin your career, yeah. let, let us know. We're not going to say anything publicly, but you'll get traded. Don't buy anything permanent here. Uh, we want guys that want to be here no matter how we play them, as long as we're playing them. And that's the thing. It's different if they said, we're going to cut you to 17 minutes a game. I'm yeah. not suggesting anything like that. Yeah. No, I think you could probably, even if in a six man role, you should probably see 30 minutes. Like, right. I think you could point to things like Jalen Brunson. You can point to like Tyler hero. These guys, Brunson was definitely well compensated and oh, yeah I, hero. We'll see what the extension looks like. Obviously there's still the KD thing and maybe whatever, but most likely I would be shocked if it was anything under twenty million per year. Right, even twenty five, I'd be surprised if yeah. it was under twenty five. I, so. I wouldn't worry. Yeah, I, I would. I would not be afraid to do that research and give it to his agent. 
uh, and to Gary and just say, we're, we are not trying to hurt you. Mm-hmm. We are not trying to hurt you. We, we want you to be the sixth man of the year uh, and the sixth man for the, for the world champions. That's what we want. Jordan Poole got paid. Jordan Poole got paid. You yeah. Know? So, all right. Well, um, I think there's definitely a lot of enthusiasm with the Raptors. Obviously, so much of this depends on health. I, I mean, I, I like the depth addition that they made too. You know, like even getting an Otto Porter Jr. type just because yeah. of the fact that, look, OG missed a lot of time last season. Yeah. You know, you now have a, a credible backup. But when OG missed time, the Raptors will cut down to like only having two or three shooters available. So, um, you know, even having some depth there is definitely going to really help. What are you going to do for your backup one? That's interesting. Um, I th- I don't think there is a clear cut option between Malachi Flynn and Delano Banton. I think I think if Nick had his way, I think he would prefer if Delano just was was able to sort of improve his game a little bit more in terms of limiting turnovers, just being a little bit sharper, coming into the game consistently, playing with high energy, being able to defend. Because I think he probably fits more in terms of what the Raptors want, you know, stylistically in terms of style of play. Um, I'd be curious to get your quick thoughts on Malachi Flynn too. I don't know how much of Malachi you've watched. He's a very, very polished player, but it seems like when he comes into the game, unless he is like the starting point guard, which sometimes when Fred was out, he got to start. He really does struggle to find his role, especially playing off ball, especially playing off the bench. And it's hard to reconcile that with like a player who is clearly very skilled in terms of just having like uh, a very polished skill set offensively. So what, if you had any Malachi Flynn thoughts, I, I would love to hear them. I really liked him coming out of college. I was high on him. Right. Um, my, in talking to people uh, with the Raptors uh, and, and what you just said and watching him, he's not comfortable. He's not confident. Uh, I don't know why, but it, this happens sometimes. You know, Nick Nurse might be uh, just perfect for Scotty and Pascal and Fred. He, cl- clearly, he's very good. Mm-hmm. But but it doesn't mean he's that way for everyone. It's just that doesn't work that way. You you can rub a player the wrong way, and mm-hmm. it's not the coach's fault necessarily. I don't know the situation, but there's something not clicking, and they just don't trust him. That's mm-hmm. the word I heard a lot. They just don't trust him, and um, well, he's got to turn it around. Whether it's defensive effort, tougher with the ball in his hands, whatever, he's it's not working out. Um, they have an option right now. They got to keep trying them. They just don't have any other options that I can see. Yeah, I guess Delano could be the one, but he, he, you know, he can't shoot. Yeah, he's he, he's at the point where it's like, can you make catch and shoot threes at minimum, so we can at least keep you off ball a little bit, right? You know, your guy's not always helping off of you, and I think he's making positive strides in that front. Like, I, I really do think that. Yeah, I'm a fan at the 905 level. He got much a lot better, but obviously, that's it's a big jump, yeah. uh, and we'll, we got to see if that that translates. And they signed this kid Jeff Outen, who I think has you know he's, he's on a two-way but he's interesting he's got a good skill set had a really good year in the g league last year so clearly they're like aware that they don't have a backup yeah. one that's why they have three backup backup ones <laughs> but, <laughs> the third ones um but yeah it's it's gonna be interesting but in terms of the depth but no listen i think the the team is in a very strong spot especially in the, the regular season's um standpoint i think they're gonna be really good i look i want to transition over to sort of asking you about just player development in general, because in the offseason, yeah. this is all we see, right? Rico Hines runs. We're seeing runs in Miami, Drew League, the crossover. Yeah, I'm sure there's leagues happening all over. Scotty Barnes is playing in Utah randomly now. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask you just sort of in terms of the player development side, like how does this process even happen? Like do, do trainers 
sort of chase players? Do players sort of chase chainers? Is there agents and teams involved? Like, uh, obviously, you're literally the OG in, in this sense. So just love to know more about how this process begins. Well, I never did it. When I, when I, uh, when I was training a lot of guys long time ago, um, I moved my services for a couple of years to IMG. Mm-hmm. They basically gave me their facilities. And um, we did play five and five in the afternoons. They were fun. And I realized, oh, this is a stupid idea. All we're really doing is jogging up and down the court, pretending to play defense, Mm-hmm. I'd rather get an extra shooting workout in than this garbage. Um, I do. There are five on five games that are helpful. Guys that were injured. Sure. Uh, yep. I think it's. I think it's a good. I, I, a young man that I help who came back halfway through last year but didn't play a ton. He's playing some five on five. I think it's good for him just to get back because once they get to their team, which is you know around September, let's say second, third, fourth, if mm-hmm. not before. They still got a month before they're playing the first preseason game. They're playing a lot of five and five then. There are teams I know getting together like in late August. I know that. I mean, you so, look at the Raptors. They're literally all at the, these runs. They're doing that now. Yeah. yeah. So there's the, so here's the here's the thing. If you're telling me, if you're asking me, uh, what do I think of Toronto having a bunch of guys meet, have some meals together, play some pickup together? I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's solving anything. Other than maybe helping to build camaraderie, which goes to building better culture. I sure. know yeah. I, I, I support that. I, I'm not someone who thinks that anyone's getting better at this level. I, I remember now, uh, as someone who kind of invented player development for money as a business, yep. I've always said, I don't think players play enough. But I was talking about kids. Kids need to play more five on five, not these guys who have a hundred games coming between preseason, regular season and a yep. playoff round, right. you know, and, and I know they don't practice a ton, but when they do, it's five on five, like they play a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm not someone who thinks that these games necessarily matter. They're fun. I, I, it doesn't mean I'm right. I, you know, and I'm friendly with Rico Hines. He's great. He's in now a coach with you guys. I, I place no value at all. And from, you know, for most of these things, uh, that's not to say there isn't some elements uh, they got to be doing something. I'd rather them. I'd rather you create scenarios in workouts. I, I, an example I'll give you is I had a player, you know, this summer, and if I was teaching him a move and I didn't think he was, go faster, that's on me. My job with my eyes and my mm-hmm. experience is to challenge him to be better. Okay, right. But if he's going up against inferior competition and can score. I can say that, but in his mind is going to be, well, I just scored on this guy who's a big, tall guy. Mm-hmm. And so it's harder to convince them, no, you're not going fast enough or jumping high enough or whatever. So I, I, you know, I think agents are involved in trying to get the players somewhere. They feel like they're, they're moving in the right direction, but I think a little bit, a little bit, a little fool's gold. I like what Toronto's doing. I know there's some other teams meeting in a couple of weeks, kind of doing the same thing. D'Antoni has done it before with his old teams in Houston. They went to Vegas one year around this time. Uh, I think getting together is great. I don't know mm-hmm. the five on five means all that much. Yeah. So I think for fans, like what's the difference in terms of like, so you, you're, you're not against necessarily just playing basketball, obviously, right? There is some maybe minor value, but it's sort of like the opportunity cost of like potentially being able to sort of do a more focused drill one-on-one or some sort of like uh, other kind of training that goes into it. So can you sort of detail like, like, what else could they be doing instead of this time? Oh, 
I mean, goodness. So there's, there's a whole neuroscientist thing that's kind of new now where you're doing all sorts of things where as you're dribbling the ball, you're also catching a tennis ball or a basketball. And if the coach throws right. it to you with a bounce pass, you have to throw a ball back with a chest pass. And, and someone's behind the, the coach holding up fingers and you have to say the numbers. There's no shortage of those things. There's all sorts of pick and roll coverages. So very, very small little aspects of a five and five game that mm-hmm. you can drill. There's, there's just the regular one on zero, you know, so-called beat the chair. But I, I, my players have made over a billion dollars in deals. And I am not telling you that it's because of the one on zero chair stuff we've done. Yeah. But I, and I've also sent lots and lots of kids to college for scholarships. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, we got way better doing those things. If you demand the right speed, pace, angles, timing, mm-hmm. craft, all of that. You're working on right foot, left hand finishes, two foot, left hand finishes. You're, at, you're working on violent fakes and you can do it uh, against air. If as a coach, you know what you're looking for. Uh, right, if right. You, so example, most players swing the ball on layups. In other words, they're driving down the right side of the court, young players. They bring the ball to their left hip and they come up and shoot the ball with the right hand. Well, veterans rarely do that because if you bring the ball to your left side and traffic, gonna it's going to get stripped. Yep. Yeah. And so, in fact, one of my favorite things to do is to ask a veteran, how did you learn to protect the ball the way you're protecting it? And every guy says the same thing. Oh, I just got sick of getting stripped. Mm-hmm. So my son and the players that, he, that I coached him with when they were high school, well, they didn't have to wait to get stripped because I was on their ass all the time about protecting the ball. And right. we have many ways to protect it. We can LeBron it, which is, you know, roll over. We can hide it to our hip. We can hide it. Uh, higher up we can extend it out like harden there's lots of things you and, and you can also talk always about ball strong ball strong ball strong so you don't get stripped mm-hmm. like we have goals where we want to go through a game we want to go through a week of games and then a month of games and a season of games where we never get stripped one time and lose the ball right it's okay. impossible to but that's a goal we'll never get it but it's a goal if you if you do it well enough you'll get fouled mostly they'll call it because they know you have a reputation. If you lose the ball, you probably got hammered. And uh, so there's, you know, getting higher extension on shots. So something I did with some players this summer on second box jumpers is get a longer extension up above their head when they're shooting a little 12 foot jumper, mm. uh, getting a quicker release. There's, I mean, every aspect of this game can be taught to the smallest of details. You can't do that playing five on five. In fact, typically in five on five, most of these players, uh, are they tend to just kind of gravitate towards what they're good at because right. they don't want to lose. Right, right. And that's literally in defiance of what development's supposed to be, which is work on what you suck at. Mm. I have a chapter in the book that you're thankfully reading called Embrace the Suckiness. Mm-hmm. And so we got to first identify what we suck at, and then we got to go to work for it. And, and what I want them to do is do these things in games and fail. I don't care if you lose. Right. Good luck getting them to do that when they're playing in front of their head coach or whatever. They tend to stick with what they're good at. Yeah. No, fair enough, fair enough. I think, too, is just, like, th- there might be a social media element to it. I think that's a little bit undeniable. Um, I think there, there's an incentive for maybe the players to some degree. Um, I think players definitely want to be able to make great highlights and put it, put it out. Um, but then I think there's also, like, a there's a social media element with the trainers, too. I don't know if, what your thoughts on with that, but there's a, there's a trainer, I think, that puts like a hoop on a spinning wheel almost like you're at a carnival and you gotta like make the jumper while the three rims are rotating in a row i don't know if you if you know what i'm talking about or if i'm even landing you in hot water my, my goal is essentially just trying to say like there, there might be 
look, it's the offseason, but there's still a ton of appetite for basketball. Let's play some runs. Let's get some highlights. It's good for the trainer. It's good for the players. Everyone gets what they want from a social media element. Yeah. Well, yeah. So so there are content fillers. I agree with you on that. As someone who owns a media company, I'm aware of the value mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Uh, there is, um, there's a dog and pony show circus mentality for some trainers. Um, it, it's, it's ironical to ask me about that because I'm, I, I take the opposite approach. Remember I was doing this in the nineties, 93. Yeah. There wasn't even the internet really <laughs> not for the average person. And it was dial up. Yeah. Um, I don't do anything on social media really, uh, very, very rarely. And it's been years since I post anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I, my personal view, and I'm not telling you that I'm right. Yeah. My personal view is a player comes to me for help. My only job is to help him get better. Uh, it is not to, to celebrate what I did with you so I can get more clients. Right. I've had young assistants who have moved on. And what my last best assistant is now a bench coach for the Pelicans, Ryan Pannone. He's going to be a great NBA coach one day. I think he has often told me you're making a huge mistake. Because what you do is so innovative and different, although I don't agree with him on that. I think it's super basic, but he's been around and he feels like no one does things quite the way you do. You should be all over social media, but that's just not, it's, 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 it's the opposite of what I want. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want these players to think for one second, I'm trying to make a name for myself. That's why I don't ever talk about uh, who I'm working with typically until years after the fact. Right, right. It's not about me. It's oh, we're still here. Your, your Kevin Martin stories. Yeah, they're yeah, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, retired a few years ago now. Yeah, yeah. I, when ESPN, I, I listen. If I if I'm working with the player and I need to write about the player, I'm going to tell you. I know this guy. I've been on the court with. Sure. Him. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But yeah. But um, I have to be honest with that. But it's not about me. That's my mission statement. It's not right. supposed to be about me. And uh, that's not to say that some of these trainers that aren't very focused on celebrating themselves can't also help players a great deal. Mm-hmm. I'm just not of that generation. I'm 57. And I just, it's not, I'm not comfortable doing that. And, uh, and I do think you're right that I, I've seen some of these things they're doing. And I thought to myself, boy, you could keep it much more simple than what they're doing and sure, actually be yeah. more effective, which is I'll, give me a ball, a basket, and a, preferably a flat wood court. And mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Yeah. And that's kind of the approach I take. Yeah, fair enough. And listen, you, you know, you are the OG in this sense. Like you really, you really didn't invent the business necessarily, but I mean, also in the same way, you kind of did. The business, <laughs> no, the business I did, uh, every coach has been in player development long before me. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Bobby Knight, Mike Fratello, and Hubie Brown were doing it overseas and not for much money. They were, mm-hmm. do, they were probably getting a speaking fee. They were helping lots of other players, but the, the 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 local neighborhood guy yeah well I, people think i was the first one how do you really know but i was traveling around the country doing basketball camps with my players and nobody else even had heard of anything like this right right i did it just out of necessity i didn't want to i didn't want to you know coach in college and and potentially lose my wife whatever that's always has been my story um and uh i just it's a business now i Everyone has multiple training. I had lunch with a very good 18-year-old the other day. He's the son of a dear friend of mine, a mid-major player, has some high-major offers. He has two trainers that he works with. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. I'm just like Uncle David to him. I don't, I don't get on the court with him very much. I love him. Hmm. But um, they're everywhere. And I, had I been smart, which I have never, been, I've never accused myself of being, I would have franchised it and licensed it 
mm. because I do think my curriculum is fantastic. It, the, the evidence is speaks for itself. And maybe I'm good at picking players too. I don't just take anyone. So that's probably a big part of it. Sure. But uh, I do think that teams are, uh, Masai knows this. Masai saw me work. That's his yeah. first job, as you know, in America, really. Um, he values it a great deal. I think it's a big part of who Toronto is. Mm-hmm. I once stupidly predicted that every team would have someone like me with their team. Uh, it was a very dumb prediction. They have five of me's. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. yeah they I was just short-sighted. They, they yeah. had no one. No one had someone like me except for Chip England. He was the only one That's... with the Spurs. That's and then I thought, oh, there'll be a you know, David Thorpe in a sense for everything. It won't be me. I've kind of aged out of that 20 years ago. I just knew I didn't want to, you know, we had, I had kids when I was 36. I wasn't going to then take an NBA job. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was just wrong. There's five, six, seven of guys that are doing it. Then with the G League too. So yeah. this is how it should be. Develop your talent. Yeah, exactly. You should absolutely do it. Yeah. All right, coach. I've taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, enjoying basketball as jazz, the book. You know, I've already got some nice little tips I've written down here. Just, you know, because for, for me, I'm just like, these, there are great tips in there. You, you wrote, a, you, you wrote a, a whole thing where you were like, you know, a lot of people make layups sort of in like a, in a way where, what did you describe it as? Palm, like hold, palms hold, facing up? Yeah, holding a platter, right? Like a waiter. Holding a pizza, yeah. Yeah, a pizza, right. And, and you actually sort of flip that around almost and, and yeah. you want essentially to sort of push the ball up and it, it, there's like a different layup technique that's in there already. And again, I'm only, I, I've only read this thing for an hour so far, but like, you know, just uh even even something very small that i thought was very smart was just like you know which shots to block like a very very simple and obviously this is not entirely you know covers everything in terms of how to block shots but very simple in terms of block the shots where the guy can't see you and if they can see you just like you know settle for a good contest that way you limit your fouls a lot more even if you you got two minutes can i tell you that story yeah go ahead go ahead so I think, and I've said this on podcasts before, probably not yours, the, the single smartest jewel of wisdom I've ever heard a coach say, although in this case, I, I, heard a, I, I read it and then I spoke to him, was mm-hmm. Hubie Brown. I did a camp in Turkey years ago with Hubie in the 90s. And Hubie teaches, and I've said this many times, I'm sure you've heard on my podcast, you only set screens for one reason, make defenders think. Yep. And I just think it's so brilliant. Uh, the screen starts getting five, five guys have to think you, you, you defend a pick and roll with five players. Typically, not always some teams solve it with two guys, yep. but you're making guys think it's genius. And so I challenged, I was probably 30 when I read that. So I've always challenged myself, God, I got to find one f- smart thing. One, one great yeah. thing that can live long past me. And I didn't try to do it. I just hoped I would do it. Uh-huh. And the one thing I did is in studying the game, I realized that uh, the guys that are trying to block shots and the offense at the NBA level yeah. and the offensive player sees it coming, you tend to foul a lot. And those are, that's really bad to foul in the league. It's a, it's a yeah. terrible thing to foul typically. So you block the shot of the guy that doesn't see you coming. Mm-hmm. And the ones that do in this league, who they're so good at body contorting and body control and deceleration and putting their shoulder in you. Yeah. You're up in the air to block a shot. You're going to get the foul whistle. Live with the good contest. Be happy with that. There's a whole other thing where I call playing defense like blackjack. We, we can talk about it another time. You're basically trying to get guys to hit on 16. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna draw threes, fours, and fives and beat you some. But sure. they're going to have a lot of bust hands. Yeah. So that's what the good contest really is. My son played a game recently, and he told me he contested. They, they're in Canada. Florida yeah, State. Yeah, yeah. They were in Ottawa. Now they're, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah they were in Montreal tonight playing. They, they played in Ottawa for three games. And I've seen a clip of it. And he contests like a 24-footer coming off the screen with one on the second on the clock. And his hand's right in the guy's nose, and he makes it. And he was all mad at himself. I'm like, Max, I don't know what else you could do. <laughs> yeah, like, there's nothing he, else you could do. That guy is not making a living on that shot. No one in the NBA is making a living on contested shots like that. Mm-hmm. So live with a good contest, block the shot out of the guy that didn't see you coming. And on the layup thing, I wrote that 15 years ago because yeah. I had a bunch of notes on my computer forever before I decided to put it into a book. So I used to teach what you're talking about, which is imagine your, your hand, the palm has mm-hmm. two eyes under your like you know second and fourth digit, right? Yeah. So your eyes. So you want the eyes of your hand facing the backboard, okay? Uh, if you have your palms facing up, that's more of a, of a um, finger roll kind of thing. Right. Well, I now teach it both ways because for the mm. defender that thinks you're going to come with your eyes facing the backward, you can long scoop them. And for right. the defender Reach that around, thinks, yeah. Ooh, I'm going to, he's going for the long scoop. Well, then you turn your hand around. So it's really a, a, my philosophy and everything is I teach everything. Someone mm. will say, do you teach left foot first, right? We teach everything. We teach everything because you never know what the defense is going to make you do. Yep. You might go 80% of one, 20 of the other. Depends on every player is different. Mm-hmm. Some players are just fine going right, left shot. Some players are better going left, right. If they're right-handed, no matter where they are. In other words, even coming from the right wing towards the middle, you're mostly we're taught as kids, you put your right foot down and square up when you're curling like at the top of the key. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't teach that only. Plenty of players go left foot first, even when they're coming from the right, because they want that permanent pivot foot, which is Michael Jordan, permanent pivot foot, left foot, if you're a right-handed shooter. We teach it all. And yeah. then you let the player figure out what he thinks he's best at. Uh, I, don't, I don't claim any one thing is better typically. Uh, uh, shooting is like fingerprints. Everyone's different. You got to let them figure it out with their own mechanics, the way their tendons and ligaments are connected. It's all a little bit different. Our job is just to shape it well once we kind of see what's most comfortable for them. Yeah. Well, seriously, this is I, honestly, I could talk to you this about this all day. And I think I'm going to read more of your book. And inevitably, when my producer calls you again, or I call you again, because you, you are very generous with your time, we'll and we're going to we're going to go through more chapters of your book as I continue to learn. But for someone like me, I mean, I miss layups like clinically. So I, <laughs> I, I feel like either either technique, whatever technique gets the ball into the basket at an yeah. efficient rate, it's gonna be good for me. <laughs> but uh, coach, thank you so much for your time. Uh, appreciate it. You know, go subscribe to everything True Hoop does. I really can't recommend this enough. I, what is it? It's only like seven bucks a month. Like this, it's this the, the the best two copies you'll pick up is, is my suggestion. You got the podcast, you got your articles, you got Henry, you got Jared. It's 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 excellent. I really Thank can't you. recommend it enough. I appreciate that very much, William. And I look forward to doing this again.